Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name's Andrew, and I'll be your host this week on RTR. I'm joined by my good buddy, Matt, and so, Matt, uh, or should I say, Daddy-O, you ready to swing or what? I'm all jazzed for this uh, podcast, so let's peel out and uh, get this show on the road. All right, indeed, and of course, this week is It's Only a Paper Moon, uh, Deep Space Nine. We're looking at uh, late season, well, no, actually, kind of early season seven, uh, episode 10, uh, but before we kind of jump into it, why don't uh, you just kind of go over how I did in my uh, recollection and recall of this episode. Uh, this week, we are rating out of five renditions of... I'll be seeing you. <laughs> but, I mean, you could give me a score up to 12 because, I mean, there are 12 of them, correct? That's right, yep. Uh, 12 different arrangements. And now I've liked the first one the best. Um, this was a very good recall. Um, you got a lot of good stuff here. You got sort of the, the I guess, pre prequel to this episode when you mentioned Siege, uh, the Siege at AR-558. You knew you got that Nog injured his leg and that he was like returning to the station after uh, after that injury. Uh, you got that he was having a tough time dealing with it and sort of fitting back in. You mentioned that he went to Vix and that he uh, stayed for quite a long time, that he was living there for a while. Uh, you got that he sort of became involved in Vic's uh, like affairs. He was like, you know. Doing, get rearranging the bar and getting ready for the big casino expansion. You got that he like snapped at Jake. Mm -hmm. So um, there's quite a lot of good stuff here, and you definitely nailed this episode. So I'm going to give you uh, five renditions of I'll be seeing you out of five. Yes, I will. Uh, I will take that down to the bank. I'll take that in uh, gold pressed latinum down to the bank. <laughs> just like just like when uh, Vic told. Uh, now that they had a deal and he could take it to the bank. That's exactly it, yeah. Um, okay, so this, of course, is Season 7, Episode 10. Um, it's only a paper moon. We'll talk about that title a little bit later. Um, this came out on December the 30th, 1998. Um, it guessed stars Aaron Eisenberg as Nog and James Darren as Vic Fontaine although I put a little bit of an asterisk beside it because I mean they are really the stars of this episode in my opinion uh, Max Grojek shows up as Rom uh, Chase Masterson as Lita and Tammy Adrian George as Kesha it was written by Ron D. Moore and directed by Anson Williams if you did not watch it then you should pause it and go watch it right now because it's a really good episode but if not then I'm going to hit you up with a little bit of a synopsis here so War hero Nog, with his newly replicated biosynthetic leg, is returning to Deep Space Nine to some gentle ribbing and uproarious applause from the senior staff. Unfortunately, Nog isn't in a good mood, and he chooses to opt out of his welcome home party and instead head to bed. Ezri fills Nog in on all of the happenings on Deep Space Nine over the last couple of months, and despite everybody being excited to have Nog back, he's not his usual happy self. He has a limp in his new leg despite the doctors telling him that he's actually fine. He seems depressed. He sleeps 18 hours a day and only really seems to be interested in listening to a song, I'll Be Seeing You, by Vic Fontaine. Eventually, Jake snaps and drives Nog into the Hollow Suite program to escape from reality and spend some time with Vic Fontaine. 
What first starts as some harm, harmless escapism soon, soon turns into a full-blown obsession. Nog finds purpose helping Vic set up a new casino and soon begins the healing process as he and Vic begin to bond. Esri, who's his psychiatrist, blindly follows the advice of hologram Vic Fontaine and luckily for Nog, Vic comes through in the end, shutting himself off and forcing Nog to face his fears and ultimately his real life. All right, Matt, I kind of gave away my overall impression of this episode last week when I was doing the recall. So let's hear uh, your impressions of it. And if you remember when you saw it first or when you uh, maybe last watched it before this viewing, then uh, let us hear. How do, how do you like this episode or just a general overall sense? Uh, this is a really great episode. Um, it's a really heavy episode because it deals with some pretty intense uh, subject matter. Uh, but, I mean... It's pretty. I think it's pretty cool that Deep Space Nine kind of went here when they sort of shifted to the war theme. They they did a really good job of kind of looking at the like the the negative part of war, and and this is one example of it where you have, you know, a, a young soldier who gets you know who has a pretty in, bad experience on the battlefield and ends up getting a, having a seri pretty serious injury and he has to recover from it, and we kind of see the the. You know, the human side of war, I guess, would be one way to put it. So, yeah, this is a, I, I really like this episode. It's really good. Um, the first time I saw it, I'm pretty sure it would have been during the original run because, you know, season seven, I was, like, right hooked on Deep Space Nine at that point. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that I would have seen it the first time then. And, um, you know, this is one that always really stuck out because it was pretty, pretty intense. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'm just going to echo the same thing that you said there. Uh, I remember this one for a lot of different reasons, but uh, mostly because it's one of the rare times that you actually see really a deep dive on uh, kind of external characters and really no main characters show up in this episode. And when I watched it the first time, that really stuck with me, that it really is just about Nog and Vic Fontaine, who are not on the main cast, which I think is really cool. Um, it hits a lot of heavy things, which we're going to talk about. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but I actually really felt um, closer to this episode and I felt like I liked it a lot more this time through. I've only maybe seen it two, three, four times. And yeah, this time through, yeah, it really kind of, um, yeah, it really kind of hit me uh, harder than normal and that made me like it even more. So um, yeah, we can talk about that as it comes through. Uh, in terms of the background of this, they actually, this was not the original idea. The original idea was going to be um, kind of a bottle episode uh, called Everybody Goes to Quarks. And the idea behind it was that the station was going to be shut down for a variety of reasons, all the stores and everything like that. And everybody was going to go to Quarks and just kind of like ride it out. Almost like, uh, you know, back in the olden days, like a snowstorm or something like that. Like it was going to be some generic reason and they were all going to be in Quarks. And there was going to be maybe five or six different little stories. And this was just one of the stories that was going to kind of uh, be part of it. Um, uh, kind of like, remember that Simpsons episode, The Adventures in Springfield, where they kind of just did a bunch <laughs> of little stories? It was going to be kind of like that. Um, yes, and I then, uh, yeah, when they started flushing it out, they realized that this Nog storyline is just really, really good um, and really, really juicy. And they decided, let's just kind of focus in on that. Um, and I feel over the last couple of weeks, we said that um, episodes have been very busy and that's because they tried to do too much. This is a situation where they took one really small aspect of something 
took it really deeply, and I think it really paid off well. Um, so would it would have been like if they'd taken the demon planet and made an entire episode only about the demon exactly. planet. Exactly. Yeah, no, exactly that. So uh, what do you think about that? Um, I mean, these not these Phase 9 alone, but Star Trek in general is kind of known for these bottle episodes where they need to do it on the cheap. There's no big explosions and stuff like that. And a lot of times they end up being the best episodes. Uh, you think of like Duet in the first season of Deep Space Nine and things like that. Um, or would you rather to have the big uh, mashup of all the different little stories and having them all connected uh, at Quarks? Well, I, I mean, I, as you mentioned, the last two podcasts, we really kind of, you know, there's been, we've talked a lot about episodes being a little bit too busy. So I think in some cases, like as long as you're able to tie them together really well, it does work. But in general, I think that when you get too much going on in an episode, it just, it, it, everything gets watered down. Um, like that was, I mean, you really railed on Demon a couple podcasts ago about how, how there was too much going on. And I felt the same way with Evolution, maybe not quite as bad, but um, but this is a great example of them just like picking one part and really just getting the best out of it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I mean, I, I guess they could have done that uh, Everybody Goes to Quark's idea without the Nog storyline. They could have done it another time. But I guess season seven, they were kind of running out of time, especially since Deep Space Nine used the vast majority of the last half of the season for one big overarching plot. So they probably just never got around to that one. Um, it turns out actually as well that the um, siege at AR558, that was the name of the... Um, the battle. So that scene where um, there's kind of like just before it, it was actually not in the episode uh, Siege at AR558. It was filmed specifically for this episode, but I thought that it was pretty seamless. I didn't really um, notice it. I didn't pick it up until I went back and read about it later. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have known either if I hadn't been told yeah. that. It was... It was very convincing. Yeah, for anybody who didn't watch that one, um, the siege at AR 558 is just kind of like get trapped in a series of caves, and it's just kind of like a battle episode. It's like very action oriented, and it's kind of be the beginnings of when like Nog gets injured, he ends up kind of on the hospital bed, and that's mostly what the episode is about. Yeah. Um, some other kind of interesting uh, little pieces here is uh, James Darren, who plays Vic Fontaine. Uh, he performed at Capitol Records. Apparently, he was pretty nervous to go and you know uh, record in such a, a famous. Uh, studio and everything like that um this is uh, one of the episodes where he sings the most he sings four songs world on a string i'll be seeing you just in time and it's only a paper moon and of course that song is the title of the episode um now did you like the title of the episode and did you know where it comes from did i know where it comes from before <laughs> yeah yeah um i don't think i did know that um uh, so yeah, it's a song from the thirties. Um, so you you obviously read about that after you watched the episode. Yeah. Um, did you happen to go and listen to it? I didn't know. Um, so I did, and um, I'm not gonna like read off the whole lyrics or sing it for anybody, but um, there is a, a couple of kind of really interesting. You're not um, gonna sing for us. <laughs> I'm a terrible singer, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's a there's a couple of uh, lines that I kind of like from it. So you smile. The bubble has a rainbow in it. Say it's only a paper moon sailing over a cardboard sea, but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. So um, I kind of see, when I read those lyrics, how it kind of ties to the episode. Do you kind of uh, agree, or do you think that it just sounds cool? 
Um, a little bit of both. I mean, it does sound cool, but yeah, it it, it definitely would work as like a title for this episode. I think. It right. Was, I don't. I, th- I thought the title was was pretty pretty brilliant. Yeah. No. Definitely. And just kind of the idea that like you know he's in the hollow suite, none of it's real. Um, it's kind of the same idea as a paper moon on a cardboard sky, right? It's just, it's not real. But yeah, but if exactly. you believe in it than it is right which is really interesting and i mean we can talk about um vic fontaine and free will that he has and things like that later but i think that it's a really brilliant um name for an episode which just kind of makes it's like the cherry on top yeah yeah the title is um like sort of i mean it's a cool title to begin with but if you understand where it comes from it's even even more cool all right, I am super excited to sink my teeth into this one, so let's just get right to it. Um, the teaser opens up right away. You've got uh, a, a kind of a very serious feel in terms of the music and things like that. Lita and uh, Rom are heading to the uh, the transporter. Uh, Nog's on, not the transporter, but the transport that's coming in. Uh, yeah. Nog is due to return. So everybody gathers. Um, it's kind of a strange situation where they all gather in the cargo bay. Uh, but I guess it's maybe a cargo ship that he's coming in on. They kind of play a little bit like, oh, this is def- is this the one he's coming in on? He's the last person out. He's got the cane. He gets kind of the, the, the cheers and uh, everything like that. I'm going to let you speak to it. Uh, what did you think of kind of this whole scene? Well, I think it it's by them making kind of a big deal about it. Um, I feel like that almost sort of foreshadowed that something was going to bad was going to happen. Yeah, a little bit, right? But yeah, I because mean, the music doesn't match the pictures, right? Yeah, yeah. Like there, there was sort of this weird, like grim feel to it, even though everyone was there and excited that he was coming back. But it still felt like something is not quite adding up here. There's more to this than than you know them getting excited about Nog coming back. Right. And you know what? The one thing that I kind of noticed straight away is, you know, everybody does the clapping and I think O'Brien kind of makes a quip about how, oh, I bet she's trying to get out of duty uh, and things like that. Um, But it's kind of a joke that falls on deaf ears. And it really was kind of the beginning of people really don't know what to do and they don't know what to say in these kinds of situations, right? Everybody is kind of clapping, making a couple of jokes. They're not really landing. Nog is definitely not laughing. Um, and it just kind of kind of becomes somber really quickly, right? And, uh, you know, Cisco tries to make the save and says, well, you know what? You got to get to the party that we're going to be throwing for you. And, and like Nog has no time for it. He yep. says, and, and the other thing I love is that you can just tell Aaron Eisberg is completely 100% different. This is not the Nog we have seen for the last six seasons, the happy-go-lucky, laughing, goofing around. This is a completely different person. This is somebody who's been changed. Um, yep. And that it's just, it's right away. And they do that all within the course of maybe one or two minutes, right? Yep. Um, and, and it's just, it's really, really good. It was well done. Like, like Aaron Eisenberg did some pretty good acting in the throughout the episode but this was like the first glimpse of it and you're right he's just like walks off the air like walk and he's just like i just want to go to bed right and alone too right yeah. and, and it just has that whole feel of kind of sadness right like nobody goes with them and they're all just kind of standing there and and again they, they almost kind of feel hopeless in a way too which i thought was yeah i just thought this was a really great way of setting it up and, and the way that the kind of music uh, trails him out as he goes is also really great yeah. um this is also I, I believe this is the first time we've seen esri Correct? On RTR, yeah. On RTR, right? Yep. Um, I mean, I, 
she's going to end up being kind of a big character throughout the episode, probably the most uh, screen time for any of the main players. What do you think of Ezri? She had big shoes to fill, uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, you know, Jadzia Dax was a pretty... She was a very beloved character, and I thought she was a really good character. I thought Ezri was... I mean, I, I think she was okay. Um, I mean, one season isn't really a lot of time to make you fall in love with a character. So I guess, the, I mean, that is working against her. And so, I mean, I thought she was okay. I didn't think she was bad. So I like I really like Ezri maybe because I came to Deep Space Nine late and then when I went online and saw that you know there is a there is kind of a very divided fan group some people love Ezri other people hate Ezri um, it's it's very divided um, and kind of coming in late I feel like um, yeah I think that maybe I kind of had a bit of a soft spot this is really utilizing her to the best of her ability because she is kind of the, the, the station counselor, um, which really fits well for this episode. So I think that uh, this is probably one of the episodes where I think they utilized her the best. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, this is, even though she's not in it much, this is definitely a chance to use that character. I don't think they really missed on it because this is supposed to be like about Nog. Yeah, no, definitely. She's definitely a supporting character. Um, and it kind of flashes back uh, from the after the title card right to Ezri. She's kind of giving Nog the update. You kind of get the sense in a weird way um, that she's kind of doing like a counseling session. Although I think counseling is very different in the in this century because I don't think that it would be this light and kind of gossipy. Um, or maybe that's just kind of the way that Ezri does it. Or maybe it's some sort of new psychotherapy that uh, we know is not yet to be invented, right? Where you just kind of sit and chat and gossip. Or maybe it's a trill method. Oh, yes, that's true. Maybe it could be one of the pri pri previous hosts, you know, learned this method. But um, again... This is, uh, you know, Ezri's very bubbly. She's very, you know, kind of happy-go-lucky. Nog's not buying it. He's not even pretending to buy it. Um, and, of course, this question of the cane comes up. So talk to me a little bit about um, Nog using the cane and the conversation that Nog and Ezri have. Well, <clears throat> I think the cane is supposed to kind of be, like, representative of, like, his sort of mental pain yeah, like a, like a like literal a, physical crotch to represent the like, mental crotch that he's yeah, leaning like, on. Yeah, like, I, and, and I didn't pick up on that right away, but I feel like at the end when he leaves the Hall of Suite that final time and the cane's just like sitting on the ground and he right. just leaves it behind. Um, I, th this conversation was kind of interesting because, da you know, like you say, Dax is like giving him sort of like the catch up talk and it's like you know she like trying to be like his friend or his count or her like the counselor, mm -hmm. right? And it's kind of it's kind of unclear what she's actually doing. I think really it's, it was, I think it was as much to just like assess his state of mind as anything else. True. But it was interesting to me that like he brings up the cane. She doesn't. Yeah. He flat out says, I know what you're going to ask next. You're going to start asking about the cane, which I mean, again, like somebody who is a trained counselor, psychotherapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever her role is. Don't you think that that would be something that would maybe kind of tip you off? Um, that like this is something that is obviously a bit of a touchy thing and it ends up being uh, kind of throughout the episode. Uh, but it's a really, like you never see this on TV shows and on movies and things like that, or very rarely at least, the idea that he has his a leg amputated 
and they they fix it they put the bio uh, engineered one onto there but he's still having like these phantom pains um which is kind of an interesting thing for like an episode of star trek right which is supposed to be kind of cheesy campy um science fiction this is a kind of a, like taking a really dark turn really quickly. Like you're having phantom pains in like the leg that got blown off, like in this war battle in a cave. Like, um, I don't know if you had that feel or whether it was just me, but yeah. Do you think this is a good thing for Star Trek or do you think this is kind of too dark? I don't think it's too dark. No. I mean, these are like real, especially when you consider that Deep Space Nine decided to go like into a full on war theme in the later stages True. and i mean this is like a consequence of it so i don't think it's too dark yeah and definitely for um yeah for star trek i mean it's a perfect kind of avenue for it um and i mean this is ahead of its time mental health right now is i mean it's not as far as it could be but it's definitely something that you start hearing a lot more about and people are talking about more um and things like that some of the things that i kind of picked up with that uh, they kind of established through this conversation but as well um with nog's interactions with jake and some of the other people as well um he's desperate for people to kind of understand without really asking for any direct help. Um, he's kind of is tired of talking about it, but he's kind of seemingly like he needs some sort of support. Um, he constantly wants to be alone playing the song over and over again. They say that he's like sleeping 18 hours a day. Um, he keeps saying that nobody understands or nobody's going to listen to him. Um, and, and when people do interact with them, they seem empathetic, but it's almost kind of like a hollowness to it or like a fakeness. Like when Jake finally snaps and takes the, the music out of the music player. Um, I feel like that is like right nail on the head, don't you? Like to me, that is like such a perfect little kind of like encapsulation of somebody who's having like mental health problems and the things that they do in order to try to kind of like cope. And again, like I mentioned before, the other people that are surrounding, like not really knowing what to do. I mean, we would hope that by the time the 24th century rolls around, we're a little better at dealing with mental health issues. But sure. I mean, given, you know, given when this was episode was made and, and broadcast, I mean, those are like, you know, a lot of typical symptoms of people dealing with mental health problems. And, you know, I mean, that's I think it's pretty spot on. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's perfect. I mean, they do kind of cover it a little bit because um, Esri's advice is to just give it time, right? That we'll just watch from afar, we'll let him be alone, we'll let him sleep, we'll let him do all these things. That's what his orders are to do anyway. Um, and we'll just kind of watch from afar, which is, I mean, that kind of covers it. Maybe that is the best medicine, right? The time heals all wounds kind of idea. Well, it certainly helps. I mean, you got to give him, you have to give him a chance to sort of work it out on his own I think before right. you start really severely intervening true yeah no definitely I mean he's already been through the star base um, like the physical aspect as well as um, probably some mental things as well um, he, now he has the elevator ride where he starts getting like some flashbacks and things like that um, which I think is pretty common for like people with PTSD and things like that um, and uh, yeah like pretty graphic stuff when he gets like shot he falls down he's screaming and things like that um, and so uh, this eventually kind of leads for him to go to Vix and uh, he listens to the song, 15 different arrangements, things like that. Um, and again, like the little kind of interaction with Vic, I start to see some other things, right? The feeling that everybody's gossiping about him and that everybody's talking about you. Um, and Vic is really the first person that kind of says that, yeah, like I believe you. And it's really genuine. 
I think Esri does say it as well, but there's something about the way that Vic says it or the way that um, that kind of uh, conversation goes about that it allows him to kind of do the avoidance thing, but also have somebody there who's going to listen and just going to like kind of like unapologetically just be an ear kind of idea, right? Did you like uh, um, the stuff at Vic's or... But I, I mean, I thought this was a nice little setup because to have Vic sort of be the like sympathetic ear for Nog. Um, I mean, I thought it was good. Uh, so anyway, that's end of Act One. We snap back to Act Two. Rom has a great line here. He's a one-legged crazy man. Um, <laughs> we kind of see, and again, I think this is right on. Right, you have you have all the senior people, and they're talking about him, not to him but about him in this kind of meeting. Everybody's concerned, but again, nobody really knows what to do. I think that this is like, number one, it's the only real kind of comic relief, but also I feel like it's uh, it's probably very accurate. Yeah, the, I have to say that the scene where they like just rip Julian's Hollis <laughs> it's like, or at least he's not stuck in that, that dumb, uh, what was it? The, the superhero one? one. Yeah, the, the, the secret agent one. Yeah. Or, the, or the Viking one. Or yeah. the Alamo. Julian's <laughs> just like, hey, come on. Come on, yeah, no, that was a good <laughs> laugh, actually. Did you think that uh, kind of Esri maybe should have been running this meeting and been a bit more assertive, though, being the, the head counselor? I, yeah, I, I think she probably should have been sort of like, okay, guys, here's what we need to do to help him. Right. Rather than like just. Like throwing out for suggestions. Do, <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Again, yeah. I mean, they're trying to make her seem like very like young and, uh, you know, juvenile and, and, and kind of like raw and green. But it doesn't really work with the Dax symbiote thing because she should have all the past experiences as well. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the funny thing with Trills is that we don't really get to see a lot of characters. We don't really know how to, we don't really have a lot of basis for comparison here. But the, the whole like, idea is that, yeah, the experiences are there, but it's supposed to kind of meld with the host True. personality. So, I, I mean, I do tend to agree that she is kind of... Um, She's green. Yeah, green for someone who's supposed to have, like, what three or four hundred years worth of experiences. Right, yeah. yeah. She's definitely not a Guinan, right? And Guinan's like somebody who lived for hundreds of years as well. Yeah. Um, although I think that they did try to kind of make this um, make this fit when they said that she never went through the proper training programs. She was just a yeah. regular run-of-the-mill trail. She never went through any of the joining processes, which I feel like, yeah, if they had more seasons, they would have probably went deeper on that, but that probably maybe explains some of that reasoning. All right, so uh, just right off the bat, when we get back to the casino, I love, love, love all the like after-hours attire. Mm-hmm. I love the sets. I love the hotel room. Like it is just, it's the '60s, and everything is just so sexy, and everything looks so good. Vic's got like the the card again, and then he, you know he tra- changes into the suit and stuff like that. Tell me about Vix. Um, just so everybody knows, I love the Vic Fontaine character. Um, I think there's a couple of episodes where it's maybe like they tried to pigeon him in there or shoehorn him in there. But um, overall, I generally really like the Vic Fontaine character as well as the whole Hollow Suite program. I thought that that was like much better than like that Fair Haven one that they did in Voyager or some of the other ones that they've done. Um, I really like Vic. Uh, Matt, what about you? What do you think about Vic Fontaine? Not necessarily in this episode specifically, but just as a character overall and his place in the or maybe we should just save that for the end 
But give me a little bit of a leave me a little bit of what you feel. Yeah, I don't mind Vic. Um, I think he was overused maybe a little bit. Like you mentioned that sometimes they do kind of shoehorn him in there, and I mean, I'm not a huge fan of like just putting him in for the sake of putting him in. But in general, I I, I mean, he's a pretty good character, and I I thought that this episode where you get to see a lot of like you know the the Vic Fontaine behind the scenes, I thought that was pretty cool too. He sees a hotel room and mm-hmm. is like, you know. Is like you said, he's got the cardigan when he's just sort of like lounging around. Yeah. But then when his buddies come over to play cards, he puts on a nice suit and goes into <laughs> the room. And yeah, I thought it was. He's always I, drinking like bourbon or scotch or something like on the rocks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good, and I thought it was authentic. I mean, I feel like from what I know of the '60s. I mean, obviously, I didn't live it, but I yeah, no, that's definitely how, right. You know, that's how a you know lounge singer in Las Vegas would. Yeah. Be. Yeah, Mad Men, James Bond, all that stuff. And it just, it all comes back really quickly, which is great. And I love that Nog starts wearing the, the gear as well. Yeah. He starts wearing like all the human 1960s clothes. It's so good. Um, now, Vic and Ezri have a little conversation. Vic has a great line. I got your number. <laughs> so good. But essentially, they're, she's going to entrust that Vic is going to, uh, you know, have the know-how to get Nog through the situation. Um, and th- there's a couple of really good things. Um, the first one is, is Nog is watching that Western. Yeah. All right. And so he's watching the Western and he calls out something that nobody does in movies, TV, all the rest of it. He calls out how unrealistic it is. He goes, that guy got shot like two minutes ago. And Vic's like, yeah, in the arm, big deal. And then he's all, he's smooching on the girl and he's walking away. And, and that is so <laughs> profound in such a little small thing. You know, people are getting blasted, heads blown off and nobody has any of the mental uh, anguish. Nobody has any of the mental problems um, in the moment of the movie, right? Like very rarely do you see movies or TV shows where somebody actually like has a panic attack or can't handle it or goes crazy from... or starts screaming yeah no exactly like what actual people would do in a situation where like you know you get shot or your head your friend's head gets blown off or a zombie rips them in half or something like that um i thought that was really good what did you did you pick up on that as well oh yeah yeah i wrote down um noticed some inconsistencies mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean that was a really it was like a really small thing but it was pretty like when you actually think about it it's actually pretty profound mm-hmm. you know, it's a pretty like for him to notice that it's sort of like he's he's almost noticing how he wishes he could have reacted to being shot yeah right so, exactly yeah it was it's it, it's something that if you're watching it just casually you probably don't even think twice about it but if you're looking at it a little more critically you know it's it's actually a pretty cool little piece that they threw in there yeah, there's so many things in this episode, little tiny pieces. The next one, especially too, where Vic gives him the, the it's the bet, it's the nicer cane. Yep. So you know, Nog has got the shoppers drug mart like uh, the Rexall Starfleet, uh, issue. Starfleet issue cane, <laughs> and Vic says, "Oh no, no, no! Like if you're gonna be going out with me, you gotta have the nice cane. It's got the big lion head on. It's a lighter and all the rest of it." And then he just very subtly mentions, oh, you know what? That's like an old cane. You better not put all your weight on it. Yeah. And it's kind of just that little bit of a breadcrumb, right? So now he's kind of weaning him off of the cane, um, yeah. which I thought, again, was really good. Although, 
we still see some kind of common mental health things with Nog, don't we? We see him distancing himself from his friends. When Jake and Kesha come, they kind of want to have, they, they come sit with him. He's being cold. He's being rude. Um, and then eventually he kind of ends up becoming self-destructive, right? Like he blows up at Jake's girlfriend and then goes way over the top, dumping the table and punching Jake. Um, so he's like, he's made, a, he's made two steps forward, but now it's gone three steps back. Which I thought was really great because, you know, this is the kind of thing, you know, especially in TV. Oh, look, he's cured. He's got a new cane, right? Everything's like a snap solution. But this is like, no, no, no. This is going to take some time. It's going to take a while. He's still got some big time problems here. So tell me about that whole scene um, with the getting the new cane and they're hanging in. And then uh, Jake and <laughs> Kesha coming to visit. Hanging in, yes, of course. No, I, 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 as soon as Jake and his girlfriend walked in, I was like, there's going to be trouble. Because, you know, I felt like he just, Nog just wasn't there yet. And, you know, it's it's kind of early in the episode, so you figure, he, and, and you just figure he's going to stumble at some point. And, you know, this is it, this is it, right? He, mm-hmm. he basically ignores them, right, at the start. Like, Jake's like, oh, what are you drinking? He's just like, martini. And he's like staring straight ahead at the, right. at the band, right? And he's barely even... Yeah, he snaps that they don't sell that drink in the 1960s and stuff. Like, he's very, very cold. Yeah, yeah, ice cold. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, and then it just sort of keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden he just, like, loses, completely loses his mind. You know, he throws the table, gives, you know, punches Jake in in the face and... You know, Vic's got to, like, break him up. And, I mean, that's, like, his best friend, right? And, and he just right. totally snaps. Yeah. And, and again, I, I just think that this is right in line with somebody in this situation, right? That's those self-destructive um, kind of feelings when you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say. Jake is trying to do the right thing, right? He comes, he wants to visit, and he gets him a drink and all the rest of it. But it's just, yeah. They're not there yet, which is which I think is really good. And Vic throws them out. So, I mean, that's maybe the one difference with uh, Vic versus some of the other um, people, right? Is that um, everybody's kind of dealing with Nog with very kind of kid gloves. But Vic is, no, like he still has boundaries, right? You know, you're going to start a fight in the club, you're getting thrown out. It's bad for business. It's bad for business, indeed. <laughs> you got to get those hollow dollars. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Vic, like it was... I thought the reaction was was actually really good. You know, he didn't like baby him or anything. He's nope. just like, nope, you're done. Out of here. Hey, this is Matt, and you are listening to Random Trek Review. To get the latest podcasts and to read the RTR blog, visit our website at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Random Trek Review. You can find us on social media, uh, Twitter at Rando Trek Review and on Instagram, at Random Trek Review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, and prefer old-school email, feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, so we hit the commercial break. We come back, and uh, Nog's up in the suite. And, I mean, immediately after Vic throws him out, he's, he's soft again. Right, he comes back in, and he is empathetic, and I think that that really kind of speaks to the character. This kind of leads towards um, kind of uh, Nog getting more invested in the casino, getting more invested in it. Like he's getting deeper and deeper. They don't really say how long 
he he's in there or how long it's been but it's kind of alluded to the fact that um he's been on for a long time uh, and vic even mentions that his program has never run this long consecutively um and he's getting tired which i thought was funny like um i didn't realize that holograms could get tired neither did i but because uh, i mean the doctor on voyager never got tired just saying yeah newer, newer tech well, Vic Fontaine was uh, quite a hologram, so... I, I That's true. Um, I guess maybe it's kind of one of those things where, like, uh, because he's imitating a real-life person, he feels like he needs to, like, go to sleep and, like, do all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I thought that uh, that was kind of a little funny line. Um, and so Nog starts doing the books, and there's no computers or anything like that, so he's going to do it with pencil. He's a Ferengi, so obviously he's a... Uh, you know, he's an expert at this. This is like probably grade school level um, accounting you know, counting for him. Um, and it, it, he it's even Ferengi accounting in like third grade, probably. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And he, there's kind of an interesting line where he's like, I'll just get the computer to add more money to your account. But Vic's like above it. Like he wants to do it the legitimate <laughs> way. He wants to like have the, the nightclub make the money, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, this is a, a kind of a um, it's kind of a short act really there's not much that happens in this particular section but um he does have a little uh kind of meeting little uh discussion with esri um mm -hmm. and she's kind of leaning more towards maybe getting him back to reality vic says he's had too much reality lately um and this again should esri really be <laughs> listening to hologram she seems to be kind of following him blindly but um there there is kind of a line where she says you're a hologram i'm his counselor i outrank you but then he convinces her anyway. Yeah. Yeah, Ezri kind of... She was a bit too like, deferent in this uh, episode. Just like, oh, Vic knows what he's doing. Right, and also, can they monitor Nog in the... You'd think so. Yeah, so are they watching him and making sure that he's okay? Like, are they that trusting of Vic? Like, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. The safeties are on. Nothing <laughs> Oh, yeah. In Star Trek, when the safeties, uh, they, they never go out. So I'm sure that it'll be 100% fine. Um, so uh, commercial break. We come back. This has to be one of my favorite parts of the whole episode. I'm going to let you have this one. The montage. Tell me about the Vic and Nog montage. I want to hear all about it. Um, I didn't really take... Pay, like I didn't take a lot of notes about that. I mean, I no, think, no. I mean, I guess it was kind of cool, like how they're all like schmoozing with all these like you know people in their fancy clothes and yeah, know. they're working the, they're doing the books and they're eating yeah. popcorn and they're like yeah. it, it, it yeah. just it it screamed of like like cheesy you know like seventies sitcom or something where and they're laughing and you know they're working at the at the bar and stuff like it was just there it was kind of like a turning point let's say because up until then it had been very dour very dark very gritty and then this was kind of the first time where it's showing the progression of time but also Nog's really getting into it and they doing like the finger points at each other while he's up on the stage and stuff <laughs> I loved this montage this was so good um oh yeah i don't know what else i can say but it was i this was just great yeah and it also kind of shows that nog is kind of like he's fully immersed himself at right. this point in the, the the program the holodeck right and then to hammer it home 
Ram and Lita come for dinner. Yes. And Nog seems excited to see them, right? Which is a good thing, right? It seems like, oh, he's making some progress and everything like that. He's very sweet to them. Yep. Um, and then they mentioned that, is it O'Brien has a party? Um, or they threw a party? Yeah, because Rom got promoted. Right, Rom got promoted, and they said, "Oh, great! You can come to the come to the you know the casino. Or we'll, we'll do a party and stuff." And they kind of go, "Oh, you missed it. It was a really yeah, spur of the moment thing." Yeah, Brian like threw us in a Bronte party already. Yeah. Right, and that was kind of again just that little bit of like he's missing out on the reality. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, he's so immersed in this, and but he doesn't seem to care. No, he he didn't seem too bothered by it. Um, that he missed uh, the party, you know? He was just sort of like, oh, that's too bad. And then didn't, like, some some guy come in, he's like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go uh, schmooze with this guy over here, I'll be right back. And yeah, he just, like, like, and he just what, goes right back into yeah. kind of, like, the, uh, yeah, right back into fantasy land, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think that, uh, yeah, that, to me, like... You know, the, the montage, he's lighting girls' cigarettes with the cane, and he's laughing, and he's doing the finger points, and there's just, like, that little bit of a dose of a reality, and he just immediately cuts it down. Like, oh, that's too bad, and then just like, oh, i got to go see this guy. And yeah. I thought that that was really, again, a really well done, really, um, again, a little small moment, but it makes up for a big one. So um, yeah. this is kind of the end of the fantasy land, though. Well, yeah, because, like, Dax comes in and talks to Vic, and she's all like, oh, it sounds like you got everything all figured out, and and, and he actually doesn't. Right, and I think, it, again, it's that dose of reality for Vic. He was caught up in it, too. Yeah, right? yeah, you're, yeah I think you're right, yeah. He, he was caught up in it as much as Nog. They were having fun, they are having a great time, but, like, the vacation's over, right? Like, yeah. uh, you know... You got your plane tickets. You got to head home. You can't be in Cuba forever. Um, and I think that, yeah, when, when Esri says, like, oh, great, you know what? Like, when's he coming back? Like, you have this all planned out, right? Yeah. It's the dose of reality. Like, oh, wait, like, we can't just do this forever. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of leads to um, a pretty emotional scene, but it's not quite as the big, big, big one. Um, so they go up to the hotel room, and this is kind of like the undercurrent on Vic's entire reality. Right? Because he's caught up in it. You know, Nog's caught up on it. And, like, Vic does the right thing. He does the hard thing. And, and he kind of sacrifices himself. Right? He literally says, you know what? I have had a taste of life. And now that I've felt the taste of it, I can't let you, like, waste yours. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, like, it's a pretty powerful thing, and we see, again, Vic is the only one who's got the, you know, he's the only one with the guts to kind of make the tough call, and despite all the pleading and, and the tears and the rest of it, like, he just shuts himself down. Yep, the old computer and program. Yeah, and Nog is kind of left standing, um, you know, kind of in the empty hollow deck. Um, what did you think about that? I mean, obviously, Vic is just a hologram. He could maybe be programmed to do that or to say that, but they've also alluded to the fact that he's a little bit more than a hologram. Um, yeah, tell me about this scene. What did you feel? Well, it was a great scene. I mean, Nog really did not want to leave. Like, Vic sort of was like, hey, man, it's like, I think it's time for you to, you know, to, to you know, get back to your real life. And he's like, nope, I don't want to go. I'm having way too much fun, and this is way better than my real life and he like just you know he gives him a dose of reality and gives him a bit of uh tough love and just is like well too bad you don't have a yeah. choice i'm i'm not letting you throw your life away yeah forever so. and it's the training wheels coming off right 
Yeah. Now, did you notice that when Nog left, he had he took his cane with him? I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yes, I, you know, I did notice that. Yeah, I, I wrote it down for sure. Yeah, that, and, and again, that sort of brings, you know, I was mentioned earlier that the cane, I think, is supposed to be sort of like a, a you know, physical manifestation of like his pain, right? And right. so it would make sense in if that's sort of what the writer was going for, that, you know, in that instance he would like you know walk out with his cane yeah especially since kind of moments earlier Ezri was saying that Nog wasn't like he wasn't putting his full weight on the cane anymore when he was kind of at the bar kind of thing yeah um so yeah I think that you're probably yeah you're right on it's it's a very subtle little thing but again it's one of the little pieces that makes this episode so special Vic is very much like self-aware here and he yeah. is very cognizant of his own reality and what he is and um, I think that made it difficult for him to do this, even though it maybe isn't shown or said explicitly. Did you take that as well? Um, or did you just think that this was whatever the next logical step in the plot? Oh, I think he, he didn't like Vic didn't want to have to do it. He was kind of hoping that Nog would go out, like leave on his own. But, but you know, he, he, you use the right word. I think he sat, felt like he was going to sacrifice himself to try and help Nog, you know, save himself from himself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, it's, uh, it's a very, it's a very powerful kind of scene is it's, you know, definitely leads into the last act as a pretty, um, you know, ambiguous as to what's going to happen. So we come back in the final act, Nog is feverishly trying to fix the hollow deck with all the tools and everything like that. O'Brien comes in. Um, a nice little scene with O'Brien, actually. What did you think of uh, this scene? Uh, it was. I thought it was pretty good. You know, like O'Brien. You know, we don't see much of him in this episode, but him and Nog kind of. When Nog was like earlier in the series, when Nog was on the station as a cadet, you know, O'Brien kind of took him under his wing, mm-hmm. and so it was. It was kind of nice to see O'Brien and him have a little bit of a moment here on the holodeck when Nog is like feverishly trying to fix it and get Vic to come back, the Vic program to come back. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty. Yeah, good. he's got two really nice lines. The first line is when he tells Nog that Vic kind of can turn himself off. And Nog's like, how, how is that possible? And he goes, I'm an engineer, not a philosopher, <laughs> yeah. which is a great line. And then um, I thought it was very sweet when he's leaving. Um, he kind of looks over his shoulder and says, we all really miss you. And you know what? Like if Ezri says that or if Kira says that, I don't know necessarily that that really, I would never have mentioned it. But the fact that it's O'Brien saying it, like he's a man's man and he's like really tough. And the, you know, the fact that he went out of his way to say it is kind, you know what I mean? Like I I felt like it held a little bit more weight. And again, it's just another one of those pieces of this episode that's just like very subtle, but like also um, very important. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, it it was very impactful and I'm sure it was very meaningful coming from O'Brien. Right. He's not the type of person to be sentimental. So the fact that he felt like he had to say it and then did say it, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely was a nice little moment for O'Brien because he's not really in this episode. Yeah. But anyway, let's get down to kind of the, uh, let's get down to the, you know, the the big scene. This is uh, what we've been building up to. This is kind of the culmination. Uh, Vic appears and... You know, says, look, see, you can't make me come back. You can't, uh, you know, you can't force me to, you know, keep hanging out with you and stuff like that. And, and, and Nog breaks down. So this is the, 
Yeah, this is kind of the breaking point, right? So this is Nog. He just flat out says, like, I'm scared. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, tears on the face. Uh, and, and he just, this is kind of maybe the first time that he's really said this out loud. And this whole idea that, you know, he wanted to be a hero. He wanted to go out and be part of the war and stuff like that. And he had seen people get injured. He'd seen people get killed. But just like a lot of things, he never thought it was going to happen to him. And then when it did happen to him, he didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah, that's it exactly. I mean, he even himself said, he's like, you know, I've seen a lot of things in the war. I don't know if he necessarily wanted to be a, a hero, but he just, he felt like he wanted to prove himself. That, you know, because he'd been through all the training and all that. I think he just wanted to prove to himself that he could, that he could actually do it. And um, like you say, he, he thought, he, you know, he was sort of invulnerable out there until something actually happened and, and you just couldn't deal with it and i feel like this is a very human thing right oh, this yeah. is a very human thing nothing bad will ever happen to me right like my investments won't lose money like i'll never get sick like you know uh, they won't break up with me like this is a very human thing that happens to other people not to me and then when it does happen to you you're like oh that's why everybody says that because uh, it does happen to everybody. Um, yeah, this was really powerful stuff. Um, yeah. I like the line that uh, Vic gives him back. It's not an easy thing to give advice here, um, especially if somebody kind of completely breaks down and pours all their guts out. But he says you just have to play the cards you get dealt, right? You win some, you lose some, but at least you're in the game. It's a little bit cliche-ish, but I yeah. think that it works. I think that it works well. Um how did you like kind of the overall kind of conclusion that uh, between Vic and Nog here? Because, I mean, they've been building this relationship up into this moment. It's very powerful, but do you think that it was well-deserved and that it worked? Oh, it totally worked. Um, yeah, you're right about when you say that this is like a very human thing, you know, to think that you're invulnerable and to think that bad things will only happen to other people until, it, you know, something finally happens to you. Uh, I mean, it, it, this scene is like the, like, this makes the episode... Yeah, me, like you know, it was it was intense, and um, I mean, in, in a way, it was almost kind of gut wrenching to watch because you know the Nog was just just completely lost it. Yeah, no, it is it's very powerful stuff. And then the next line I really really like. Nog comes down the stairs, and uh, Quark and Lita and Rom are there, and uh, I'm not sure who asked but they they ask him, "Are you all right?" And he says, "No." But he says, "But I will be." That, that is something that, you know, um, in a world where everybody has to put on a phony baloney smile and go into work and pretend like everything is great when really they're at home feeling bad, it's nice to see a situation in a TV show where they asked him, like, are you all right? And he goes, no, I'm not. But that's just like, I'll be sad for a while. I'll be upset for a while, but then I will get through it. And I thought that was a really nice way to end the episode rather than it being like, oh, Vic's uh, poker analogy just like swung him right back into reality, right? <laughs> like this is not something that you're just going to get over in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. Like you don't know how long this is going to take. Maybe you'll never get over it. But just the fact that not only was he confident enough to say it, but then also their reaction as well, right? Like they don't say anything. They don't try to give him the pep talk. They just kind of give him the hug and that's just the way that it's left like I, I to me anyway that was a, a, as, as important as the whole thing with Vic where he breaks down and he says he's scared and everything yeah that was yeah I mean it was a really um, 
it, it was a very honest mm-hmm. reaction, you know, like he easily could have just gone down those stairs and been like, oh, I feel much better. Everything's great. And had a big smile on his face. Right. And like, oh, Vic really helped me. But he didn't. He was, you know, that's, that was a sort of an honest reaction to, um, you know, what he'd been going through. And a realistic one too, right? I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I really really like that. Now they flash forward. I don't know how long, but they flash forward obviously to a point where he's been cleared for duty and everything like that. Um, he they he's got the duty uniform on. He comes back to thank Vic and everything like that. He tells Vic, you know, he's gonna leave his program on. It's kind of like a little thank you. Um, kind of like the Moriarty episode i don't know if you remember that one from next generation oh yeah where yeah. They, they chose to leave him on um well they they, they didn't really have a choice <laughs> okay yeah he was enough. like ready to like take over the ship right so yeah tricked him into like remember thinking he was, he like, was alive he's in that like little cube thing and they're like we'll just let him run forever right yeah happens, yeah right? exactly <laughs> hopefully nobody like put a big magnet next to him or something <laughs> Um, but yeah, for this one, he, he says, okay, Vic, I'm going to leave you on. And Vic, he has no words. He's so thankful. And a nice little moment. Um, because, I mean, it is Star Trek, right? And, I mean, they could have ended on that um, that final scene with uh, Rama, Quark, and Lita. But I, I think that this is better because then next week we can probably just kind of get back to regular Nog and, and be, be done with it. Um, Vic sings a song. I don't know how you feel about... Uh, Deep Space Nine episodes ending with a Vic Fontaine song. I feel like it happens like pretty often, but that's maybe just my memory failing me. Um, I kind of liked it. Um, although I was expecting him to sing I'll Be Seeing You. I thought, I thought that might have been a bit of a better capper. What did you think? Um, I don't mind having Vic Fontaine end the, the episodes with a song. It does seem to happen fairly frequently though. I think you may be right. Um, but I also kind of liked how they, as they sort of like did that shot of the station and the theme music came on, they added the little piano thing. Yeah, really nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. Now, did you notice um, when he said that they were going to have his program running all the time, did you notice that he said 26 hours a day? I did notice that because the they're on the Bajoran uh, cycle clock, clock yeah. and so yeah, 26. <laughs> I, I love that little kinds of details, you know? Well, that... It, that happens a lot in the series. Yeah, no, I do like that. Subtly put it in quite quite often. All right, let us uh, kind of cap off our episode here, talking about some cast and characters, some productions, some scenes, and some final thoughts. Um, let's start with the cast and characters. I mentioned off the top that Nog uh, slash Aaron Eisenberg is a guest star here, but really he's the star of this episode. Um, which is a rarity. Um, what do you think about Nog, the character? Uh, this is basically at the end of the run. Um, there's obviously kind of his final arc throughout the uh, the final uh, episodes of Deep Space Nine. But um, what do you think about Nog in terms of where he is right now and how far he's gone? Well, he's come a tremendous, uh, I don't know, distance since he was that, you know, devious, uh, you know, teenage uh, Ferengi boy that we might meet in the first episode of the series mm-hmm. who is like you know robbing stores and causing mischief and generally causing Odo a really uh, rough time um, and you know here we have him well I mean pre- just previous to this he's you know been through the academy he's become a you know a competent Starfleet officer uh, so yeah I mean that's I don't know if there's much further you could come yeah, to me anyway, I think that uh, I think Nog is one of the best written Star Trek characters. 
Um, purposefully or not purposely, I don't know if they had this all laid out ahead of time or whether it just kind of came by, uh, you know, a, a happy accident. But I mean, in terms of a story arc, like Jordy LaForge in season one and Jordy LaForge and Nemesis, is he really that much different? Like he's really good at engineering. He's really terrible with women. That's the story. Like he's blind. Well, he went from being like the helmsman to <laughs> the chief engineer. Okay, yeah. So he got a promotion, but I mean, in terms of like character, right? Like wow. you mentioned, Nog, he starts out as like a bratty, super annoying kid. This is a character where I feel like if you went and dug up some reviews from like Emissary and season one and stuff like that, I bet you there are reviews like, get rid of this guy. He's annoying. And like, that's a terrible character, like annoying kids on the station. Like, get rid of him. Like you said, he has to uh, earn Cisco's respect so that he can get the letter to go to Starfleet. Then he goes to Starfleet. He comes. He becomes kind of under the wing of O'Brien. Then he like becomes like a Helms person on the Defiant. Like he really, really has a massive arc. And by the time you get to this, this is again like just kind of like a, a symbol of all the things that he has become. Um, and I think even the actor has kind of improved along the way as well. Or he was just really good at, you know being a bad uh, <laughs> annoying kid right um yeah i think that nog is one of the best uh story arcs of any character on star trek or at least i can't really come up with one that's really bigger and deeper right yeah i mean he shows tremendous growth over the course of the series and i mean he's literally there start to finish you know he's in he was in the first episode he was in the last episode and yep. and you know, he, he doesn't, you know, and there aren't like stretches where it's like, oh, he's gone to like live with his uncle on Ferenginar right. and he's just gone for like years at a time. Like he's there like throughout the, know, whole, thing, throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like too, it's a realistic arc. You know what I mean? Like you could say, well, oh, Jean-Luc Picard, like he becomes an action star by the time you get to Nemesis. Well, yeah, but was that really super realistic? And was that really what we were looking for? You know, like he went from playing the flute and reading poetry to driving dune buggies and, uh, you know, fighting guys with uh, oh, huge how, scimitars. Like, you know what I mean? Like that is an arc where you go, eh, I don't know, like if that's like what we really wanted. Whereas the Nog one, I feel like he really matures and becomes something like kind of really special. I definitely wanted more action out of Picard. <laughs> he didn't get enough time, you know, firing rifles and driving dune buggies in yeah. the series. Like, come on. Come on, Star Trek. Let's go. <laughs> so, yeah. Nog, I, I mean, he went from one of the characters I hated to one of the ones I really loved by the time he got to the end of the series, which, I mean, this is probably his best episode, in my opinion. Uh, I think there's little question of that. Yeah. All right. So Vic Fontaine, we already talked about him, but talk about me. Talk about Vic Fontaine, kind of as his whole, uh, the whole series. I don't really remember when he shows up exactly, but he's definitely season six. in uh, season six ish. Yeah, around there. My guess. Tell me about Vic Fontaine. I think like like you mentioned earlier that um, his sort of like I think Voyager and Deep Space Nine both sort of they would have their like holographic escapes, and I think Vic is definitely the best one. Fairhaven on Voyager was pretty bad. Um, that like bar uh, that they went to to play pool was okay, um, but I, I I like Vic as a character. He's sort of um, he's really like no nonsense kind of guy. He tells you how it is, and he's a guy that you can kind of lean on and who you can you know talk to if you're having a rough time. And I you know I feel like that's definitely a useful thing to have. Especially when the show is sort of gone full into the, you know, the theme of 
war and and you know the ramifications of that so i i thought it was i always thought it was pretty cool it was kind of i, I always found it to be enjoyable like you, you know even when it was first in its original run and even watching it now years after the fact i always thought it was kind of a nice little it's kind of a nice little break mm-hmm. from the action yeah so he only appears in seven episodes which seems like it's really small here's the thing five of them are in the final season so I feel like maybe that's kind of why it feels like it's a little bit jammed. Well, and he's, he isn't he usually like very prominent in the episode. Too? He's it's usually not very like, prominent. He's it, also it, mentioned in three episodes. Like it's um, not like it's not like they just like you know you get to like minute forty three of the episode and it's like oh let's go up. let's go hang out with Vix and right. that's how it ends right. He's like the you know, he's usually yeah. the for, in the pretty close to the forefront of the episode. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, he's like Guinan shows up for like a speech or a line or two. But usually Vic is like a main character when he is in it. Yeah, you know, I like Vic. I like the Vic Fontaine character. He never really rubbed me the wrong way. I think that it's kind of an interesting thing that uh, people would want to hang out in the 60s. It makes sense, right? It was cool. It was hip. Everything like that. Um, I think that uh, James Darren did a really great job with them. Like he's got all the slang. And yeah, they just they really put a lot of effort into making this kind of work. Um, Sometimes the songs... They kind of go on a little bit long, but you know what? I kind of like that era for music and things like that, so I don't really mind it too, too much. Um, I definitely feel like it is worth it, I mean, to kind of go through some of the songs in order to do it. Um, I think that we're going to pass on Raw and Lita. They are in this episode, but I don't really feel like they're super prominent. Unless you had something to mention about them, I feel like it's kind of... Um, it's, this is not their episode. No, we'll save it for later. Okay. Um, so, uh, terms of the production notes, um, I don't think it's really any surprise here, but all the main players, Aaron Eisenberg, um, you know, Iris Stephen Bear, um, James Darren, like this is one of their favorite episodes, shockingly, um, you know, it, it shows up in, if it's not number one on their list, it's definitely always in their top three when they talk at conferences and, and cons and things like that. Um, but maybe more interesting, um, Eisenberg has actually been contacted with people with mental illness, war veterans, and things like that, and they actually said th- they actually said thank you for um, you know doing such a great job representing what that experience is like, and uh, you know feeling of isolation and escapism and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was yeah really cool, and I think that again. Uh, I don't know if they contacted those people before they wrote the episode or whether, you know, somebody was on staff who had experience with that or whatever. I think they really did a great job of it myself. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, that, that's pretty, uh, I, mean, I mean, that just shows you how impactful, like, these Star Trek can be. Mm-hmm. Um, for people to, you know, contact Aaron Eisenberg or, or the, you know, just the show in general and be like, hey, you know, you guys did a really really good job with this and and I, I think that just goes to show you like you know how it sort of transcends entertainment sometimes star trek can can really have a you know an, an impact on on people yeah no definitely um now this is kind of sp- speaking of like really you know deep and uh you know super kind of weighty things um a, a very kind of strange production note um so Worf shows up at the very beginning of this episode he is in the group of people who are clapping but then um he is never seen in the rest of the episode so there is some speculation that um this episode takes place during the events of the movie insurrection because the timing of when this episode aired and when insurrection came out as well as like the star dates and things like that i don't know if you've seen that movie correct 
Yeah. <laughs> so if you remember, I think Worf is like delivering something. He's speaking at a conference, and then he somehow gets onto the Enterprise to go to the Briar Patch. Some some really half-ass uh, reason was given. Yes, that he just happened to be in the neighborhood. Shockingly, uh, but it does kind of line up with this area and especially if um, Nog was in the hull suite for weeks or months at a time that would explain why Worf wouldn't be seen because he was on the Enterprise E in the Briar Patch. Interesting. I never would have uh, made that connection. No, I mean that's definitely somebody who's doing some deep diving. Um, This is my own personal opinion but like this episode is better than the movie Insurrection. (laughs) Just is. I think you could probably name off Several episodes that are better than Insurrection. <laughs> All right. Um, and this is the last little piece of kind of interesting note. Um, so the movie that Nog is watching um, was actually filmed in color, but it's 1962, and the color TV had not yet been invented. That's why he's watching it in black and white. Oh, that, okay. Very, very cool. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, all right. Uh, let's just talk about our memorable scenes and quotes. I feel like this is a really, this could be a very difficult one. Um, to come up with just because there's so much good stuff but what was your favorite scene or quote well the the scene when Vic appears is like you know that's pretty that, that's one of the best scenes I think in the whole series um, but as far as like kind of I mean I tend to go more towards the light lighthearted side of things um, the, when they were ripping Julian's all sweet programs that was just that was that was the one moment of, of comic relief in a very serious episode but I thought it was just great you know, they're they're talking about how he's in the in you know he's at Vix and hanging out there, and then <laughs> you know one person's like, well, at least he's not stuck in that silly Alamo program. And another guy's like, or the secret agent, or someone else says, uh, or um, oh, what was the other one, or the uh, or the Viking program, and Julie's just like, come on, guys, stop making fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I guess those are the those are the two scenes that kind of get stuck out most of me. Yeah, this yeah, it's a very difficult one, right? Just because there are so many heavy hitter scenes. I, I'm going to kind of go with a quote, I suppose, and I already talked about it, but I, I love um, the line at the end where they ask Nog if he's all right. He says, no, uh, but I will be. I think that kind of is a good little representation of the episode as a whole, but also, yeah, it's just a, it's a nice little line. You don't see it in TV nearly enough. So, um, final thoughts, and then give me a rating out of five. Paper Moons. Well, this is an episode that, um, I mean, I definitely remember this one. It's a very memorable episode. It's a very impactful episode. It's a very heavy episode. Um, but I think the way that they kind of, that they tackled this uh, was really well done. I thought it was, you know, pretty realistic as far as how Nog reacted to, you know, coming back to the station after you know, very traumatic experience on the battlefield. Um, and I think it's an important episode. You know, I think it's one that, I mean, if you watch, you know, if, you, if you're going to sit down and watch five episodes of Star Trek, I feel like this is one that almost should be on it, uh, on that list, especially nowadays when, you know, mental health is becoming a much more, uh, you know, it's, it's something that is being talked about and, and dealt with a lot better now than it was, you know, 10 years ago. So, um, as far as the rating, I think this is uh, this is going to be one where I'll I'll go five paper moons out of five. Like it's just a really I thought it was a really well written episode too. I mean, we talked about some of the small little subtle touches that were thrown in there, but I I mean that's 
that, you know, to me, that's how you pick out a really well-written episode. So um, I'm going five out of five for this one. Um, what do you, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'll just add to what you said, because I agree with everything that you, you mentioned there. This is Star Trek at its best. This is sci-fi at its best. Taking a situation that everyday people deal with and making it fantastical and adding elements of the hollow suite and um, stuff that doesn't exist in real life. Um, I think that uh, this is about as good as you're probably going to get for Star Trek. And it's actually one of my favorite episodes. Everything works about it. You know, sometimes with Star Trek, they can kind of get lazy and then some of the writing and the techno babble can like um, get out of painted corners. But this time they didn't try to get out of anything. They just kind of dealt with it bluntly and, and head on. And it was so nice to see. It was so nice to see them take some small little aspect and, you know, rather than add in a bunch of side stories, just really just dig deeply into it. And uh, yeah, when Star Trek is good, it's great. And this one is just flat out amazing. It's all time, uh, you know, one of the best. So I'm myself as well. I'm going to give it five out of five uh, paper moves. If I could give it more, I would give it more. Um, absolute classic episode. All right, folks. It is the most anxious part of the, uh, the show, at least for Matt this week, where we are going to pull out a freshy episode from uh, our Trilby hat that we always use. And uh, it's very fitting this week, actually. You know what a Trilby hat is? A hat they wore in the 60s? It is, yeah. Mm. It's like the hat that James Bond wears in those early Connery movies. So oh. it just happens that that's what we happen to use. So look at that. Um, uh, Matt is going to try to give us any kind of knowledge about uh, the episode, the characters, the quotes, any kind of trivia and stuff like that. And, of course, he is going to have one minute. So I'm going to dig in here. I'm going to go right to the bottom and pull out a juicy one. I and it's a good one. It looks like, oh, it looks like this week we might be taking a trip on the Starship Enterprise NX-01. Oh, we are heading to Jonathan Archerville and uh, okay. Enterprise. This is season three. It's okay, I have a chance. Episode nine. Okay. Uh, the episode is called North Star. So I'm just going to give Matt a minute here to just kind of think about that. Um, and while you guys at home as well, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen. You should try to uh, play along as well. You're looking for any character names, any interesting trivia, some plot points, some B plot points. Obviously, the more you get, the better. Um, hopefully, this is a situation where Matt remembers this one. I have to admit that I don't think I remember anything at all about it. Unless it's about like going to Bethlehem or something. I have no chance. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? I think I'm about as ready as I will ever be for an Enterprise episode. Okay. One minute on the clock. Go. All right. This is kind of an odd episode. Um, now, season three, there's the whole Delphic Expanse storyline where they're like looking for this super weapon that's supposed to be destroying Earth. And in the process, they come across this planet where there's... It's like colony of humans randomly living on this planet and they're like doing it all Wild West style. So they live in like, they're wearing like cowboy hats and there's like saloon shootouts. I really hope that this is the right episode. <laughs> I'm going to look really foolish. 
Um, that's really all I can remember. Somehow it goes back to the whole, like, there's, like, some clue to where to find the super weapon, like, on this planet. And so they have to, like, deal with all these, like, like sheriffs and robber, bank robbers and whatnot to, like, find this clue. And, um, I feel like Archer probably gets beaten up at some point because he always gets beaten up. And, um, Paul somehow saves the day. I, I think that's about all I can remember. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's Fistful of Datas. That's the one that you were uh, recalling there, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, um, maybe. I have no clue. Uh, I hope that that's the one. Um, and I guess we'll find out next week. Um, it's. I'm kind of excited. This is our first Enterprise episode. So I'm actually really looking forward to um, discussing it next week and kind of delving into it. This is, I guess, pretty close to the middle of the pack, right? Four yep. seasons of Enterprise. Yep. So um, early season three, we're right in the dead middle. Uh, I'm really excited to look... Uh, look at Enterprise next week so I hope that you guys will scurry off to wherever you watch your Star Trek goodness um, and watch uh, Enterprise North Star so long